2: Welcome to episode 83. Today's podcast is a conversation with my friend Dr. Libby Quinn. If you are a regular listener of the podcast or perhaps you follow along on social media or you've even attended some of our events in the past, then you will likely be familiar with Dr. Libby. She is one incredible woman. She is also known as the woman's psychologist over on the gram and she is definitely someone that you want to follow and I probably say that 25 times in this episode but I just love the way that she's so passionate about caring for women and the way that she communicates I think is really really unique and I'm sure you're going to fall in love with her throughout this episode. Dr. Libby is a clinical psychologist that has undertaken and completed a Bachelor of Psychological Science and a Doctorate in Clinical Psychology. She has worked solely in private practice for 10 years, and she openly shares that her mission in this life is to completely serve, grow, and have fun. Libby and I explore a topic that both her and I are really passionate about, and the topic is about the identity shift that occurs for women when they go through the process of becoming mothers. So I'm going to let you get straight into this episode. It's a really good episode, if I do say so myself, just because I, when I listen to it, when I listen to Libby speak, I feel as though this is the sort of stuff that really, really matters. So definitely take a screenshot of this episode if you enjoy it, pop it up on your social media so that both Libby and I can see it because it means a lot to us. We both hope that you're staying safe and you're well, and we hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Dr. Libby, thank you so much for always making time and space to share your knowledge and compassion with our community. Before we dive into today's chat, which is about a topic that I know you and I are both super, super passionate about. I'd love to know, how are you coping with everything right now?
0: Yes, thank you so much for having me again, Kylie. I feel, yeah, it's always such a pleasure to join you, especially when we get to dive into these really, really juicy topics that I feel we as women can all benefit from. Um, but, yeah, how am I coping with all of this? Well, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, which I think is um, probably been the flavour For everyone (laughs) at the moment. um, I think I can definitely say in the first few weeks there was a lot of um, quick adjustment needing to happen so I had lots of anxiety myself um, and needing to navigate that but you know came back to my trusty anchors of what supports me and also just I feel like, you know, I'm privileged in having the knowledge of um, what adjustment is (laughs) and that it's a process and um, that the passage of time moves us through that as well as engaging some helpful strategies. So, yeah, process of adjustment. And I feel like there's been a bit of a quote going around and I actually don't know it verbatim, but it's something to the effects of, you know, like we're all going through this storm at the moment but we're all experiencing it differently. So, you know, some people might have more resources than others. Other people are going through um, more severe parts of the storm than what we might be going through. So we, we all are in this collectively, but we're all experiencing it differently um, depending on the adversity that has struck us and the, the resources we have available. So I, you know, myself personally haven't been that hugely affected by it than just um needing to work from home and homeschool and keep everyone alive so you know mm. I've, I've come back full circle then to just um connecting in with what am I learning here what's the the growth and the positives here in addition to allowing um all the shittiness that's there <laughs> so it's it's been an interesting process which I have I can imagine it has been for everyone
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen that meme as well, talking about how we're all Mm. going through it. But depending upon the resources we have and the experiences and where we are, we're all feeling it differently. And I think it can change day to day. Like I've had some days where I've felt, like as you mentioned, not personally impacted by COVID, but just Mm. impacted by the changes and sort of kind of in like a bit of a bubble myself. And then I've had other days where I'm just so overwhelmed by it all so I think it just varies so much day to day and I love that you mentioned that just knowing that it's time as well as some of our tools that move us through yes this, it kind of takes the control out of our hands of just going oh yeah it is just a case of writing this out
0: yes absolutely it's one um massive weather pattern we're all all navigating and when we've got certain resources and tools or if we feel we need to learn more to support us, um, then, you know, it, it strikes that really nice balance between what can I do to look after myself and influence what I can in addition to just allowing what is. Because, um, yeah, a, a, so much things that we used to be able to influence and control has been taken out of our hands as well and that's a part of that adjustment, isn't it? It's
1: definitely a lot. And I've mentioned a couple of times just on social media that, our listeners might like to go back to the last episode that you and I recorded where we spoke about how to cope with the natural disasters, which were the fires that was happening when we spoke about Mm. that. And while it is, you know, a different difficult time, so many of the tips and tricks and tools that you shared for that episode are super relevant to coping with the global pandemic that's going on right now. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add to our listeners who may be struggling with the uncertainty of what we're all facing?
0: Yeah, I I think just coming back to what you said there, I think what we discussed in that episode was um, it was kind of almost it's less about the content and it's about the process. So um, what we spoke about was that idea of psychological first aid, how we can use those principles to support others but also support ourselves. Um, and we engaged psychological first aid in times of crisis. So yes, that was pertinent to the bushfires, and now it's also really relevant to um, what we're all experiencing with the effects of COVID. And I would just, yeah, probably add to that that um, it's really important, and, and I'm very, very big on this at the moment, but it's really important that we can, as much as we can, slow ourselves down to really pay attention to our internal dialogue, um, to the thoughts that are popping up and just kind of get clear on those strategies of um, is this thought helping me to listen to this thought Um, or can I diffuse from that thought and let it go and how can I generate more helpful thoughts. And we generate more helpful, self-compassionate, supportive thoughts um, essentially by talking to ourselves. And I think self-compassion is something that's really needed right now because um I'm sure you've noticed it and had discussions with people too Kylie that a lot of people are also comparing their isolation experience to that of others um mm. and saying oh you know well I'm I'm not completing a course I'm not writing a book I'm not um working out every day yeah. I'm not working out I'm not like I haven't nailed how to do a handstand." Um, <laughs> You know, I'm I'm just trying to survive and yes. um, get through from the AM to the PM, and and that's okay. So that's where I think the tool of self compassion of um, validating your experience that we don't need to be comparing to any ideal at the moment because this is a global health crisis. It's a pandemic, and it's affecting everyone in really individual ways. That there's no place for comparison here. So. Yes, there are no, I
1: was just going to say, there's no isolation Olympics that we need to train for.
0: (laughs) No, that's exactly it. And, um, you know, whether you're finding growth or meaning in this time or you're not, again, like from a a personal development, psychological perspective, of course, I'm seeing and I'm I'm so for, well, what's the growth in this? But at the same time, like, if you're not looking for growth or meaning at the moment and you're just simply surviving or you're trying to figure out how to get another job um, or whatever it might be, that's really okay. Um, Mm. I I think a lot of people are getting caught up in this comparison, which is then triggering, of course, all of the sequelae of not good enough and all of that business. That doesn't help.
1: It's so true. And I've seen so many people posting, you know, saying, it's not just about going through it, it's about growing through it. And like you, I totally do think that there are opportunities during this pause for growth, but there are also mm. days. Yeah, I had one not yesterday but the day before where I sent my girlfriend Kat a message and I said, this day is going for 47 years. Yeah. Like today is just the <laughs> longest day of my life. Like some days you're not going to get all of your tasks done and some days will just be like, gritting your teeth and listening to the millionth story that your child's telling you (laughs) and tidying up for the 500th time and just wishing that they were at school or wishing that you were at work or whatever it
0: is and that's okay absolutely it's it all belongs here you know we don't have to be trying to manipulate this experience into something that it isn't right now um Mm -hmm. and yeah, that the thing I love about self-compassion is it it is really evidence-based and it does regulate our emotions as well. Um, and it, you know, if we start to practice that then we can do that with more ease and I think that can make a big difference to how we feel.
1: Yeah. At the bet.
0: And speaking,
1: yeah. speaking of self-compassion, today's topic is one that I think really needs as much airtime as possible and it's a term that I would love for every single person to have in their vernacular and that term is matrescence. So Libby what the flip is matrescence?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's oh I would have to say it's one of my favorite terms and with you I'm so passionate that We, as women, need to be really, really educated on this and informed about it, Um, but also the wider community. Society needs to be brought up to speed um, about what this is. And essentially what it is, it's a term used to describe um, the developmental process of becoming a mother, really. So there's this passage of time, understandably, where we go from being a woman and we transition into being a mother and it does commence from the moment of conception because as we know from the moment of conception that once those hormones start to flood our bodies um we're not just a soul woman there's that little being that's already started to inhabit our bodies and we are already starting to change so i really um yeah you know it's our brains and our being and our body it's starting to go through these seismic shifts as we're particularly postpartum is when um, matrescence really kicks into gear, I suppose, because we've gone through pregnancy and growing the baby to then um, all of a sudden there is this little being here. And, yeah, we're in unfamiliar, uncharted territory and our previous concept of self um, prior to pregnancy or even during pregnancy is trying to meet ourselves in our current reality and they're more than likely not aligning or connecting so that brings a lot of uncertainty with that
1: absolutely it's a whole new identity and like you said there are a few key areas that make up this new stage of life for new mums including physical emotional and hormonal changes not to mention the huge lifestyle changes, I'd love to unpack these with you. When it comes to the physical changes, we know throughout pregnancy that our hormones are changing and to a certain extent it is expected to be emotional during pregnancy. You know, we even hear the term the baby blues and things like that, but I just can't recall anyone ever really talking to me directly about the hormonal changes and fluctuations that I should anticipate to experience Mm. after having the boys. You know, like I Mm. I remember people saying to me, you might experience the baby blues, but there was never a huge Mm. focus on once you have the baby, you're still likely going to be going Mm. through all of these changes. And I might be in the minority here, but I suspect that a lot of couples are not really super aware of what will occur physiologically post-delivery and in those Mm. early stages of motherhood. So if we stick to sort of at a physical level, what what mm. could be expected throughout my tressence?
0: Yeah, and no, I think I would have to firstly agree with you that I think unfortunately, and it definitely happened for me and it wasn't too long ago that I had babies, that um, there's just not enough education around what's going to happen postpartum. Um, hormonally, physiologically and psychologically and the lasting impacts of that and then how can we support women with that? So I think the biggest changes we notice with women um, postpartum is obviously hormonally. And during pregnancy, and I find this concept really mind-blowing, but they've found that the levels of estrogen and progesterone during pregnancy it's been likened to taking like a hundred birth control pills in a day like we are wow Uh, it's it's mind-blowing like our bodies are absolutely flooded with these hormones um which is obviously necessary if you think about what the body is trying to do by growing and sustaining life within there so they're they're necessary at such a high level um but straight after delivery I think it's as soon as um, the placenta is been delivered, progesterone just drops dramatically. And um, if you don't know too much about progesterone, it is a very handy hormone for keeping us calm and keeping our mood elevated. So if we've just gone from having this really high level, almost like a drug effect um, mm. throughout pregnancy, and then it just drops all of a sudden, um, Course that is going to have an impact like straight away that we've just kind of taken away um almost having this consistent injection of progesterone mm. of anti-anxiety that's just gone um yeah, that's massive it's big yes absolutely and again we're we're not really getting educated that um these are the hormones and this is what's going to change and and i think as you can appreciate too kylie that when we're informed about something um, it, it, you know, it can prepare us in an adequate way to know that when something's happening, oh, this isn't abnormal. This is part of the course. This is the process. Um, Absolutely. So, and I think that's yeah. why,
1: you know, during pregnancy, if we are a little bit emotional or we overreact or we're just not as stable Ooh. with our temperament, we kind of accept that because we're like, oh, we're pregnant. And it's just so important that you know once you have your baby, or babies, your hormones are still changing, so even though you might not be pregnant, you're, you're still you're still susceptible to what's absolutely. going on with your body.
0: absolutely and and what I think to help um, kind of point out just how critical this period is is that the change in hormones at you know postpartum, directly postpartum. There is no other time in a person's life, men and women, where our hormones will change that dramatically. No. So that just speaks volumes about how much of an impact that can potentially have um, until our body can, can rebalance with that. So, yeah, like what you say, we, we're definitely given the education, the information around, okay, this can – I'm going to expect these changes hormonally with pregnancy – um, but again not enough information getting disseminated around um, this is what happens postpartum yeah. and, then, and so with that yeah our progesterone can drop so there's less anti-anxiety there's less mood elevation and our oestrogen can stay high so we get an imbalance and sometimes if we get that oestrogen dominance um, that can then give rise to a low mood as well um, so there's a lot going on there and what I found interesting too is that we get an upshot of prolactin postpartum to assist with breastfeeding and milk production but prolactin actually um impacts the effect of dopamine so um you know prolactin increases which means it's our, our dopamine which is responsible for our mood being elevated as well um can have an impact on mm. that too so it's there's like you know if we look at it, its progesterone, it's estrogen, it's prolactin affecting our dopamine and then also oxytocin which um, gets released during labor and increases and assists with bonding so obviously really essential and really positive. but oxytocin is also responsible for um, contributing to anxiety as well. Oxytocin raises and helps our mind to become more vigilant of threat. so it's been it's there for a um, survival mechanism, obviously. Like if you think back to our hunter-gatherer days, we needed to yeah. be wired to look for threats with new babies around. Um, but in this modern day and age, we've still got those kind of... Almost um,
1: coursing through our systems, even though the threats aren't imminent.
0: That's yeah. exactly it, from primal times. So if we um, kind of imprint that onto our modern day lives, and we've got this oxytocin, which is just there for bonding and it increases with breastfeeding as well, we can also be more likely to look for um, threats or worries when they're not there. And I don't know about if you experienced it, Kylie, or you may have spoken with other mums about it, I'm sure, but I often hear mothers, and I I went through it myself, where um, you know sometimes that you're being quite irrationally worried Mm. that your baby's going to stop breathing. Um, yes. or, uh, you know, you'll wake up and they, they'll be dead or, like, really kind of these really big primal fears. Um, and
1: so many, I, so many women experience that.
0: Yes. And a lot of them, again, this is the importance of being informed. A lot of women are like, oh, I am um, really me? silly that I have that worry. Yes, mm. absolutely. And so then you get that double psychological effect where they're feeling anxious, but then they have internalized it, so they feel ashamed, um, and then you know that's giving rise to a lot of psychological suffering. So I really, um, yeah, appreciate this question, Kylie, because I think when we can understand the hormonal changes, um, that really sets the stage for understanding what we can expect to change psychologically. Absolutely, for us as well. Just as you were speaking then, Libby, I was just thinking
1: back to, you know, when the boys were born, which was six and a half years ago now, they went straight into special care and I Mm. had the boys on a Friday and I was discharged on a Tuesday, Mm. but they were kept in. And for me, it was torture. It was torture having to walk out of the hospital without my babies. And it all Mm. just makes so much sense because at a primal base level I was going Uh through all of these hormonal shifts and wanting to protect my babies but actually Mm. physically having to walk out a door without them was Mm. so heartbreaking and it was so hard for people around me to understand you know I can remember Mm. people close to me saying the, you know, this is your chance to go home and have a sleep and have a shower. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, yes. I would rather be stood here at these glass doors just waiting yes. to be able yes. to pick them back up. It was so, so traumatic. And I think that Absolutely. it really did dictate a lot of the way that I parented, particularly in mm. the early days with that mm. hyper, hypervigilance and that, mm. you know, wanting to just be super involved and super responsible.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a a good example too Kylie and this is why you know how we support mothers in this postpartum period is so important because if we know physiologically and psychologically what's going on and then there's an event like what you experienced of okay the boys are in special care you need to go home if we if, if you know everyone's well educated around what's going on for you as the mother at that point, there can be extra support. There can be extra validation. Um, Extra empathy, yeah. Absolutely, which goes uh, such a huge way um, in preventing traumatic experiences ultimately. So it's... um, That's
1: why I I hope that people who are... Women who are pregnant now listening, I really Mm. hope that they send this episode to their partners And say, have a listen because just that little bit of empathy and compassion for understanding, it's not just as simple as, oh, you've birthed the baby, your hormones are back to normal. Not at all.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, it's the the biggest hormonal event of a woman's life.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. That's what we've
0: got to get clear on. Yeah.
1: And when it does come to the psychological changes that we've touched on, Obviously, you've got the physiological, the hormonal side of things. But psychologically, what else is happening during this new stage of life for mums?
0: Yes, there is understandably so much going on. And I think we can start with framing this as this is a big adjustment period. Um, So I I didn't mention before, but matrescence has been really likened to um, adolescence. So if we think about adolescence, we are very well-informed and educated conceptually and we understand the research behind it now that children are going from being children to being an adult. So they go through that period of time with adolescence where physically, hormonally, psychologically there's lots of changes with the biggest change being around identity. Um, So we've got, we're we're well-informed as a society around that and we offer space and compassion that and the difficulty that I feel so many women have experienced is we haven't had this conceptual understanding um yeah disseminated adequately enough into mainstream information that martrescence is this developmental period with all of these physical hormonal psychological changes um with the cornerstone being uh an identity shift so Mm um I think when even as women and as um, partners of women and all of that, if we can start to view this as, okay, well, yes, I understand adolescence and that process. Menstruation is another developmental process um, that women undergo. And we've actually been, as a society, um, dismissing that experience. And I'm convinced that that is at the core of a lot of psychological difficulties for women, um postpartum absolutely
1: even just hearing you frame it that way comparing it to adolescence it makes so much sense and it also as much as it may be daunting and overwhelming to hear it put that way I'm listening thinking wow that's so empowering
0: because
1: Mm. I know myself I mean when you look at children and then they become teenagers it is it's a whole new identity And I really felt that becoming a mum, and Mm. it is, you know, I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but it certainly can be a really confusing time. And if the people around you and if you yourself understand, okay, this is quite common for it to be a confusing time because it is a whole paradigm. It is a whole identity Mm. shift. It's empowering to know, okay. I'm in the middle of this and I'm going to, yes. you know, get up this hill and I'm, I'm going to be okay. But when you're in the mm. thick of it, you can feel like, what's wrong with me, you know? Oh. Why isn't this coming naturally to me? And like we spoke absolutely. about earlier going down that compa- comparison rabbit hole where you think everyone yes. else is coping so well.
0: Yes, absolutely, Kylie. And I think... There's so much psychological ease we gain when we're educated on that what we're going through is a normal process. It doesn't mean that we feel happy all the time or we're doing it with lots of ease. It means there's awkwardness, there's uncertainty, there's anxiety, there's stress, but it's a universal phenomenon. Um, so when Just like with informed, toddlers. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's fascinating to think that there once was a time where we didn't have the conceptual understanding of adolescence. We didn't, you know, we didn't have that conceptual understanding. We didn't have the research around that. Um, and so people were just like, what happens with children between the ages of, you know, 12 and 18? They just go completely rogue. Um, and they were like, you know, it's almost like this is this zombie apocalypse. Like what is going on here? There, there wasn't the language, the understanding, the research around it and this has been the same for motherhood and, and so, so
1: in I was just going to say in another 100 yeah. 150 years they'll look back and go do you know they didn't even understand absolutely. the huge identity shift that
0: happens. absolutely absolutely Kylie I think it's um you know we I and I'm grateful I suppose that we are um able to be alive at this time I suppose when you know there is actually a term for this there's research there's you know growing encouragement of um discussing this to support mothers but yeah in terms of it being if we know okay this is an adjustment period it's a very normal developmental process that's akin to um adolescence which means there's a whole myriad of hormonal emotional changes awkwardness that comes with it a big shift in identity um there's a couple of other key features psychologically so one of them is um the phenomenon of ambivalence so this speaks to uh, socially there's been the rhetoric that um well you've chosen to be a mum and you should be grateful and blessed and beryl's done it you know 80 years ago and she didn't complain um and you've, you know, you, you just need to sacrifice yourself. That's just what you do. That's what being a mother is. So even in this day and age, um, because there is actually an intergenerational uh, influence of um, maternal identity, we still unknowingly, this is projected in society, that if you've chosen to be a mum, that means you've chosen all of this. And we don't want to hear about what's bad, because if you express what's bad, then you're going to be judged for being a bad mum. But we know, of course, as with anything in life, particularly big life adjustments, there's ambivalence, which means there is both good and bad experiences with it. There is both good and bad emotions within it.
1: And I feel... um, And you can want something and love something but not always enjoy it.
0: 100%. And this is what, you know, it's an unrealistic expectation that we as women and I know I definitely did this, Um, we unknowingly internalise an unrealistic expectation that we should be able to handle this all on our own, we should be able to love it all, we should be able to cope with it all. Um, It should come naturally. (laughs) It should come naturally, absolutely, and it's unrealistic. And that actually, by having that unrealistic expectation, it sets us up for this kind of cascade of um, really internalised negative psychological experiences because no one feels comfortable to express um well you know actually I'm not liking being a mom today or I'm not bonding with my baby or I miss my old self there's so much shame around discussing um what's hard so much shame and I I think too
1: for women or for couples in particular who you know perhaps have struggled to fall pregnant or have gone through terrible Mm. loss with a miscarriage or perhaps gone through IVF or whatever it might be, there's that extra layer of, well, you really need to love this.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's this, um, yeah, even more of that expectation is kind of ramped up more Mm. for those individuals. So the higher the expectation, um, the greater experience of disappointment And shame. And that kind of speaks to this next phenomenon, um, which again, it's a really universal psychological experience that we're not told about, really. Um, That we all develop this, even when we're pregnant, um, we, of course, we're trying to prepare ourselves for what's to come. So we unknowingly, again, create a bit of an image of what we want motherhood to look like. And we base that off the media. Um, what we see other people around us doing. So that feeds into how we feel we should be as a mother and the identity. Um, But of course that kind of fantasy, so to speak, doesn't match up with our reality. And so when we've held this ideal of, oh, I'm going to be this kind of mum, or this is how it's going to be, and I'm going to love it. And then when we're faced with our reality of going, oh my goodness, this was just not anything I expected. Um, there's a lot of you know, negative emotional side effects from that. And, again, women internalise it, which increases shame, which mm. increases psychological distress. And I think that's a key um, running theme in all of this is this internalisation of these experiences because we feel ashamed to talk about it and expressing it. And that's exactly what we need to allow ourselves to move through this with more ease absolutely
1: and I imagine the more we internalize everything we're experiencing it's the more we create a sense of isolation
0: yes yes absolutely Kylie and it just and this is all um also linked into this idea so if we think about we may have created this fantasy this image of how we feel we should be um We then, again, we unknowingly, we all have created this kind of ideal picture of the good mother, Um, Mm -hmm. and we measure ourselves against that internalized image. So maybe she cooks from scratch. She never raises her voice. Um, Her Mm -hmm. children are always in coordinated clothes. She meditates. She helps her neighbour. She is just, you know, she always wants sex. sex. (laughs) Yes. Yes. she's she ready it? to go at all times <laughs> <laughs> absolutely she is just like nailing life so whether you know it or not and this is the power of our subconscious and the power of information that filters into our brain um and it's our brain trying to prepare ourselves for something but we've got this idealized image of what the good mother is and mm. we unknowingly compare ourselves to that and she ended up falling she's an short. unrealistic image absolutely absolutely because we're imperfect humans
1: so, so just so many different compounding layers here i mean even if we just think about the hormonal factor and then the psychological factors that you've spoken about not to mention lifestyle wise You know, it's so easy to think that you're prepared for a baby because, you know, there could be nine months of pregnancy, but nothing actually prepares you for that reality of taking your baby or babies home. So on top of all of the things that we've spoken about, your like internal identity shifting, also Mm. your external, your lifestyle, your day to day has been completely flipped on its head.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a huge shift. And that's what I think is so um, taxing for women at this time Mm. is they've got physically, physiologically, all of these changes, you know, not to mention recovery from pregnancy and delivery. Um, You know, they've got all of that going on, plus all of this um, psychological impact that's happening. But then they're needing to do this whilst maybe the things they used to rely on to support themselves, um, may not be there anymore, quite simply because of time or energy or availability. And their day is now filled with um, trying to meet the needs of this little baby that they're getting to know. And, you know, for many women that means they may have gone from working full-time to now not working at all. And, again, that is a huge shift in lifestyle um, and a huge shift in women navigating this um, identity transition
1: it absolutely because you're you're no longer your only priority you've got all of these things that are going on for you which would be an absolute shit ton to work through even if you didn't have a small human to take care of but the fact that you've got all of this happening but hey you also don't have any time and likely (laughs) minimal energy to focus on these things and work through them because I mean we haven't even touched yet on the sleep factor but Often by the late stages of pregnancy, you know, our sleep quality is already super compromised because Mm. we're uncomfortable, we're getting kicked in the ribs, and we're having to get up to go to the bathroom 48 times a night. And if we're not getting up to go to the bathroom, then we're having that dialogue of, Do I need to get up to go to the bathroom? Should I just get up anyway? You go through all of that, and then the sleep deprivation when you have a baby, you know, some people will be blessed with a newborn that is incredibly sleepy. But for a lot of families, sleep deprivation is very, very real because newborns are designed by nature just to sleep in shorter stints. And, you know, some of the side effects of sleep deprivation alone, they, you know, they include things from emotional outbursts to having a low mood to irritability, a lack of concentration, even hallucinations and so on and so forth. And it's just a lot for families to be dealing with.
0: Absolutely. It's so big that, yeah, there's the lifestyle changes and sleep deprivation. And, you know, sleep deprivation we know is a huge trigger outside of um, an adjustment to motherhood or parenting anyway. It's a huge catalyst for mood disorders Mm. and anxiety disorders as well. And, it becomes, um, you know, with what you're discussing there, it becomes quite tricky then when if you're a woman and you're quite sleep deprived and you've got all of this going on and you're not feeling so great mood-wise or maybe your anxiety is elevated, um, then as women, which we are so very skilled at and we try to do, we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> mm. We're, we're kind of left in this mess of going, okay, I know about past, postpartum mood disorders am I depressed? Am I anxious? Um, Or do I just need more sleep? Like, you know, so women are actually then, again, it becomes a very internalised process of trying to um, figure out for themselves in a very, very sleep deprived state of why am I feeling this way? And I think that's when um, we can have information and understanding about the hormonal changes. Um, about what sleep deprivation does to our mood and when we've got information and understanding about, you know, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders and information about matrescence, when we can draw on all of that, um, you know, we can come to really support ourselves and other mothers and then, you know, start to figure out, okay, maybe I do just need to go and seek out professional help to bounce ideas off someone and see what's going on for me. What do I need? Next,
1: absolutely, and it can be so hard to know. And just you know, speaking about personal depression, it is so real, and you know, a correct diagnosis, mm. support, and treatment is absolutely paramount. But I also wanted to touch on something in regards to PND because I know that when I was doing a lot of in home consultations mm. for baby sleep, there were so many times, Libby, that I would knock on the door and I would be greeted mm. by a couple or a woman alone and she would just burst into tears and say, yeah. I've just been diagnosed with postnatal depression. And, you know, I'd give her a hug and she'd have a cry and get it out. And, you know, at times if both partners or both parents were there, it was a really really emotional time for them to confide that that you know Mm. that she'd been diagnosed with postnatal depression but once we were able to sit down and go through everything that was happening in their life I could see like a visible weight being lifted off both of their shoulders because Mm. when you're in the thick of it sometimes it's so hard to see what's going on but when you have someone say to you hey you're Mm. going through all of this stuff not to mention one of the biggest the, the, one of the biggest pillars of health and wellness has been completely compromised your mm. sleep. No wonder. And when I was able to, you know, pull up the list of side effects of sleep deprivation and pop them next to a checklist for PND, you can see that there's so much crossover and I certainly don't want to um, minimize postnatal depression, but I did want to share that just anecdotally I've seen so many families when they've been able to get on top of their sleep and with a little bit of time everything shifts for them.
0: Absolutely and I think that that speaks to you know it sounds to me like what you were providing for women in those situations was you know true validation in terms of saying it makes sense like look at everything that's played into Mm. this um, and it makes sense that you can absolutely tick all these boxes of PND and potentially you have it, potentially you don't. But this is where I feel um, it's really important for us, you know, really as individuals to conceptually understand what what are all the variables, um, particularly from this kind of biopsychosocial model that gives rise to us not feeling good. Mm. Um, And I obviously being a psychologist, diagnoses are important but at the same time I tend not to and there's a lot of therapists that don't operate from that way um, in that sense of what's more important is actually conceptualizing um, someone's situation by looking at what's been the um, predisposing factors what's been the precipitating factors what's maintaining that and it's all these different variables and when you can tease that out with someone and go well look what's happened here you're recovering from birth you've got all these hormonal changes you're completely sleep deprived um of course you're feeling this way so mm. if so sleep important. deprivation absolutely and and you know if sleep deprivation is it would it's a huge component of um what maintains women not feeling great in that postpartum period if women get education and support around it and then they're able to get a bit more sleep back um, and notice their mood or anxiety improving, it's to me sometimes that's more helpful than just purely working from a diagnosis perspective because I know for women, particularly at that time when you're feeling so vulnerable, for some people a diagnosis helps but I would say for a lot of people receiving a diagnosis sometimes can feel quite um, like defining in terms mm. of oh okay well now I've got this label on me and um, I'm feeling like it, it triggers some people feeling quite pathologized and yeah this is who I am and I'm stuck and I've got no other options um, mm. but there are some individuals if they receive a diagnosis of that it's like oh, okay there's a term for what I'm going through here and this is the treatment that I need but I feel yeah, from, from looking at the research and I suppose with working with women over time, I think if we can all operate from that perspective, and it is evidence based of conceptually what's going on for this woman or, or this individual, then we can figure out what are the variables that are maintaining that and then how can we really um, help someone in that situation. So I hope that helpful. makes sense. <laughs> no, that makes, it makes total sense. I'm sat here
1: nodding, going, it's so true because <laughs> I, I know in my real life, I have friends that really do feel better for having, having the terminology mm. and going, I'm going through X, Y, Z, and this is what I've been diagnosed as. But then I've got the other people in my life who a label would just be crippling and defining. Mm. So it's such a personal thing. And mm. I guess that's why it could be so valuable for people to explore this as an individual and for what feels right for them
0: absolutely absolutely yeah and i think ultimately you know whether that seeking out a sleep consultant um which is just life-saving for for many mothers or a therapist or a gp or it's it's seeking out help i think Mm. um is a key factor in this for women because again um, and this comes back to this rhetoric that we've been fed socially and that we've all internalised is I should be able to do this and um, I should be able to cope and therefore I'm actually feeling like I'm not coping but I'm not going to seek help. I'm just going to mm. kind of push this down and carry on because that's what I see all the other mothers doing and this is just the job that we need to do um, and that that's what I have such true empathy for because that's that's where women suffer is, is yeah, internalising that and suffering on their own. Absolutely.
1: And so I really love the term having a toolkit for all different stages of our life. And with matrescence, what would be some strategies that you would put in a bit of a toolkit for, for couples that are going through matrescence?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Big fan of the The toolkit, I think um, the first thing is being informed that uh, this is a really normal process. It's a universal phenomenon. So in the toolkit, get the definition of matrescence in there um, and seek out as much information as you can about that. And at the end, we can talk about a few particular resources around that. Um, But I think being informed that this is a process because when we have that, it gives us the, the paradigm to move through this. I think, um, understandably, as it always comes back to when when we're discussing things, I think really being aware of your thoughts. Um, So just being aware of what your inner dialogue is and knowing that you're not your thoughts is a critical strategy that we have this ability and the more we practice it, the stronger it gets of being able to step back into our observer mind, um, noticing thoughts that come up, noticing that they may not be helpful and being able to diffuse and let those thoughts go. And in addition to generating more helpful thoughts, we've all got this ability. If we've got a brain, we have this ability. And um, that's being able to talk to ourselves. So talking to ourselves with a lot of presence and self-compassion, as I've said so many times before on our uh, conversations, Kylie, it's it's really evidence-based and it creates so much psychological ease when we can say to ourselves, Um, this makes sense that I feel this way, what do I need right now? The same way we would talk to a friend ultimately. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a few particular cognitive biases. So just, um, yeah, particular thought patterns that are automatically triggered for many women as they're transitioning. And they are particularly ones around perfectionism, so the shoulds, I should be doing X, Y, Z. There's strong ones around self-sacrificing, and comparing the martyr uh, (laughs) being the martyr absolutely and personalizing things so uh again maybe just having those turns in your toolbox to be able to identify a thought pattern as okay am i setting unrealistic expectations for myself here is that that perfectionistic thinking um my hubby just said you know go have a bath i've got the baby but i've said no, it's okay, I'll keep holding the baby. Is that my Um, self-sacrificing? So being able to kind of catch yourself as those unhelpful thought patterns are happening and comparison is a big one. Um, I think it's so, so, so important for mothers to acknowledge because you will (laughs) Um, subconsciously at the very least compare yourself to other mothers and it's really important. Something I think that has to be in every mother's toolkit is understanding Um, that we do internalise this ideal mother, um, but she's completely fictitious. It's complete and utter bullshit. Um, She's not real, but we compare ourselves to that. And what we need to do is drop that comparison, notice ourselves engaging in that comparison to other mothers or this internalised ideal and come back to tuning into our own experience and having a think about, well, what do I value? What are my likes and dislikes? what do I know from getting to know my baby? Um, How are they best settled? What do they enjoy? And getting more and more in tune with um, the uniqueness of your own motherhood script. So it's kind of saying that this is a motherhood script or it's a map based on your values um, and knowing that that's going to look different to someone else's map, so to speak. So, um there's just no place for comparison. With that. Does that make sense to you? It
1: does. It makes total sense. And everything that you have were just mentioning then, Libby, I was just thinking it's so transformative. I know that it would yeah. sound like a lot of work to women listening, going, oh my gosh, now I need to be aware of my dialogue and be aware of this subconscious Mm. bias that I have going on or this fictitious woman that I'm comparing myself to or even the Mm. real women but all of those things that you touched on you're not going to do it all within five minutes it's a skill that you're going to practice and the best thing is that those are skills that are going to serve you yes during the early days of motherhood but as you practice them they're going to serve you through every stage of your life and I know that you and I spoke about this when we decided that we would record this episode and we spoke about the fact that there are really a lot of gifts throughout the time Mm. of my trepence. And everything that you were touching on then, I was just like, yes, that's so much personal growth. There's so much opportunity there to reflect and refine your identity based off your own true values.
0: Yes, absolutely. And that's what I think... Um the, the, the beautiful, the, the most beautiful part of martrescence is that it's a gateway um, for personal development and growth. So as hard as it is, this transition, um, even at the time, even if you're not feeling your most zen self, um, there is growth happening. Because we know that growth, personal development and growth happens when we are pushed to our limits and then some. Um, Absolutely. You know, if, yeah, you, you think about even um, sometimes it's likened to people that go on those um, silent meditation retreats for seven days. You know, there's, there's this element of there's a challenge in this or people that go and do crazy um, physical experiences to try and challenge themselves for that personal growth. There is no greater challenge for personal development, I'm convinced, um, for women than motherhood because there's no um, get-out clause. Like when it why? gets hard, we have to sit in the hardness and and that's where the growth happens <laughs> of completely. wisdom and patience.
1: Yeah, and that's why I always say, Libby, I always say my boys have been my biggest teachers and I think sometimes mm. people get that wrong at first. You know, they don't hear what I'm actually trying to convey and what I'm trying to convey is that, parenthood has really brought me up against myself time and time oh. and time again and you see all of your own personal wounds you yes. know they're so triggered yes. by having children and you see all of your shortcomings but you also see all of your strength and it really I feel being a parent is so transformative if you allow it to take you there
0: Absolutely. And I, I think that's where, yeah, having the terminology and um, the conceptual understanding of what matrescence is, is that it is that developmental process um, that's hard, but it, it's that absolute gateway for um, spiritual and, and personal development and growth. And it's, um, yeah, this and the gifts that women can gain from that understandably is patience you know when you've got to sit there and I laugh at your example Kylie around like Pokemon cards like when you've got I'm to sit there for the 10th time that day <laughs> <laughs> you know you are, you are completely up leveling in in patience um and when for like you know the 10th time in my day I've got to do um running laps around the yard and I'm completely gassed but it's like that's mm i'm I'm learning patience i'm learning distress tolerance that um you know we don't just get these gifts now like what you're saying it serves us for the rest of our life and for as long as we're mothers and we're mothers till we have our last breath we're we're in matrescence it's this beautiful <laughs> vehicle for growth that we are in till the moment we have our last breath and i think there's so much empowerment when we can come to understand what it is, what to expect with it all, um, and that there's a lot of gifts that I come love from that.
1: I really love the way that you framed that because it's in a way relinquishing control because it's always going to be evolving. So it's yeah. like, you know, there's that that old quote about saying, you know, the wise man understands a work day is never done or something like that. Yeah. And it's just going, you know what, actually understanding you are, like you said, a mother to your final breath, and it's going to have so many different iterations and then reiterations mm. and so many chances for growth. And you know, I said to you I said just before, if you allow it to take you there you really can grow and sometimes it will take you over the edge and yes. it will push you down more and you'll be in tears <laughs> more times than not but just going oh this isn't something I need to complete it's not a race it's just being in it
0: yes that's absolutely it and it's, it's knowing I think that it's I think that's important for us to tease out that it's not in that direct postpartum period that this is isolated to it's not just in that first 12 months um, but it is ever-evolving. You know, I'm sure as you experienced, Kylie, and I've experienced this year, um, children going to school, that triggers up new um, kind of stepping stones of, of personal development, new challenges, old wounds triggered, um, and that will continue on as as mm. our children grow and develop. You know, I know my mum, like we're all ranging in age from, I think, 30 to um 38 my mum has five of us and she's still going through my tresses (laughs) like you know it's still it hasn't left her a different Um, iteration yes that's exactly it
1: that's exactly it and just coming back to I guess those resources that you suggested Mm. um what resources would you recommend new parents
0: or parents-to-be do have on hand So there is this is an all time book and we I'm I'm sure you've you've, maybe you've read it. We all have, I think, the whole what to expect when you're expecting, Mm -hmm. um, which is great for sure, understanding what's happening with your pregnancy and postpartum physically, what the baby's going to do. And this is what I feel has been the biggest gap is there's been no book. There's been no manual, so to speak, about what the flip to expect with. Um, emotions and psychologically what's going to happen to us postpartum so there's this fantastic book that has been co-authored by these two therapists who have actually um, co-created the motherhood center in new york which is solely based around support um, for mothers going through matrescence and psychological difficulties and the book's called what no one tells you a guide to your emotions from pregnancy to birth and sounds amazing oh it is just I I've, I've read it obviously with um working with other mothers and I was like oh my goodness I needed this we all needed this um because and it's filled with lots of great practical strategies from that kind of cognitive behavioral perspective of you know similar to what I spoke about today these are the um normal biases that we expect these are the strategies you can engage to look after yourself with this and it's a great one I think when women are trying to explain this to partners um when you can even screenshot shot a couple of pages and just go here read this on your commute or yeah um, have a look at this it's just that's critical I think is um so th- helping that should become
1: to be that should become the universal baby shower gift
0: <laughs> yes yes Absolutely. We, we don't need what to expect when we're expecting. We need this.
1: <laughs> okay, brilliant. And also, how would you suggest that partners, friends or family can support a new mum?
0: Yes, this is such a good um, question. I think it really comes down to being aware of this process. So, you know, if you are a woman listening to this right now um, and you're pregnant or you've got girlfriends that are pregnant or they're in this postpartum period, to Get informed yourself about the term martrescence and then pass this information on to partners, friends and family and say, hey, I've learned about this concept, martrescence. If we both can get educated on this or if you can read this article. It's a (laughs) real thing. It's a real thing. I didn't make this up.
1: Um, I didn't find I, about this from the crystal
0: shop. It's a real no, thing. No, it's not out <laughs> of the latest edition of Cosmo. Um and even even I still use this with my husband like if I'm having one of my 14-year-old teenage moments. Um he'll just kind of look at me and he's like is this is this like a bit of that is this my and I'm like oh mate it's it's so my right now. So it's it's helpful to have that language, because you can just frame your experiences. And I think mm. it's, um, yeah, partners and, and family and friends can support women in this process to understand this is the biggest life change that a woman will go, f- go through, as we've discussed today, physiologically, physically, um, identity and psychological wise. So, you know, understanding how big this is and to give her support. So, again, as mothers and women, as we've discussed before, Kylie, we all can score pretty highly on the core belief of self-sacrificing. So what that means is that if someone asks us, are you going okay? How are you going? Um, it's I'm just so automatic. I'm fine. <laughs> Absolutely. it's just, um, It's so automatic. And you could be so far from fine um you just automatically say I'm fine or you know as we said before hubby might say I'll have the baby you go for a walk I'm okay it's all right um and that's where partners can really step up that little bit more and do a bit more gentle encouragement to say you know no I'm really okay with the baby right now um I think you could really it might really help you out to go have a rest or you know not in any forceful way but just if a, like a pause. Fine, yeah, a pause to just kind of gently encourage um, a bit more around that. So, yeah, I think it's about getting informed, um, checking in if, if she's okay and if she says she's fine um, to go a little deeper and, yeah. and see if there's extra support
1: you can offer. Honestly, just having this conversation, Libby, it kind of makes me feel um, on one hand so much relief. And then on the other Mm. hand, it makes me feel a bit emotional, like I wish I could go back in time and make sure the people around me knew all of this stuff Mm. and also go back in time and give myself a big hug and just say, oh, you poor poor thing, you're going through so much. And I can think of very clear examples where the people around me, and it's not their fault because no one, it's not as widely Mm. known as we would want it to be. But so many situations where I was certainly struggling with this new identity and then just the lack of awareness and the lack of empathy, you know, I can picture right now there was a situation where I was trying, someone was putting one of the boys in the car, a family member and one of the boys, like he was brand new, like a couple of weeks old and he was getting really, really upset and I took over. And that caused yeah. this massive rift amongst this family member yeah. because, you know, what they felt was that, you know, they were being minimized and not needed. Whereas I was so just in the zone of, that's my baby crying and I need to soothe that baby. And yes. if there was just more awareness. Which is
0: completely normal. Yes,
1: yes. And if there was more Absolutely. awareness, I just think it would change so many family dynamics for the better so I am so grateful to you for dedicating this hour to speak about this topic and this is the sort of podcast that I feel so so passionate about getting out there
0: oh it's an absolute pleasure Kylie and and likewise I would have to say yeah if there's one topic if I was to pick one topic that I'm so incredibly passionate about it is Martrescence and you know, I think I've I've shared before, potentially on one of your podcasts, you know, that's all been fueled from my own experience of um yeah, postnatal anxiety and depression and all of these factors Mm. biopsychosocial that that fed into that. Um, and similar to what you were just saying, like I think back to myself in those previous times and and I want to go back and hug her and support her and tell her to seek out help and you know, normalize everything. Um that she was going through. And I think, yeah, I think hormonally, when we can understand hormonally what's going on for a woman, if, if family members are educated on that, then it's like, oh, okay, she's wanting to take charge because her oxytocin is strong and um, that's her... It's not a personal attack. ...supporter. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the more we can all get informed about this, um, I think ultimately, which is, you know, what we want, is there's more mothers supported because the opposite is what's been existed you know women mothers have not been supported at all in this um transitory period well I have no doubt that this
1: conversation alone will provide some level of support so thank you again before oh, I let you Oh, thank you. Before I let you run away and get back on with your work day, I just had a couple of quick rapid fire questions. And before we started recording, I said to Libby, did I ask you these last time? I can't remember. <laughs> um, so they're a little bit different to the normal ones that I ask just because I was unsure whether we'd done this because my trust. You've got
0: to spice things up a little
1: bit. Yeah, know? that's it. Yeah, yeah and baby brain. Happy. <laughs> so, if you can just give me your very first response to these answers, and we'll just knock them okay. out quickly. Okay. So, number one, what is the last thing you watched on TV?
0: Oh, the last thing I watched—it was something on Netflix. Let me think. I can't even remember the the name of it. I think it was—I was doing that supportive watching with my husband of—I think it was the Michael Jordan documentary. <laughs> And that oh, I don't blame you for because... not knowing. Yeah, <laughs> supportive watching. Supportive watching because it's normally the other way in our relationship. <laughs> <like, "All right, laughs> I'll take, I'll take one for the team. Take I'm one for really the team. Vaguing like, be- out on that.
1: <laughs> well, that's fair. Now, number two is what is keeping you sane during isolation.
0: What is keeping me sane? I think definitely grabbing snippets of alone time. Um. Yeah, because like I said before, I think I'm at home with hubby and my boys. So I'm trying to do my best with getting up early and just stealing an hour to drink coffee on my own journal or do a bit of movement. And that is like, that's keeping me alive. <laughs> mm,
1: and my next question is, if you could share just one tip for thriving in isolation.
0: Yes. One tip, I would say self-compassion in terms of just being really aware of how you're talking to yourself, that there's no right or wrong way to be doing this right now. The experience is and if you just, um, yeah, engage that internal dialogue of saying, you know, the way I'm doing it is right and we're going to move through this ultimately. And there is no such thing as the Isolation
1: Olympics. No, no. We are not no. in training.
0: Let's, we are not comparing. We are not comparing Susie like, down comparing the road.
1: <laughs> no. Um, if you could have dinner with any three people in the whole world, whether they are dead or alive currently, who would they be and
0: why? Oh my goodness. That is such Curly a good question. And clearly, one I've never um, thought about. Pondered on? Three people in the world. Yeah, I have not ever pondered on that. That's big. I would have to say. This sounds really dicky, but I would have to say my husband and my two boys. (laughs) Oh, cute! Um, And that's and that's in
1: isolation.
0: All right, we're done here. (laughs) Saying that, (laughs) there's not even Chris Hemsworth on that menu. (laughs) I know.
1: Okay, I think you need to ponder this. And next episode,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll report back. I'll go report back.
1: No, that is the cutest. I love that. That's a great answer.
0: Yes yeah
1: now what would be one of your favorite listens whether it's an audio book or a podcast
0: favorite listens um I would say I really love um the audio book by Esther Perel called Mating in Captivity it's Um, a good
1: one I could listen to her all day Uh, every day
0: she's got the best voice (laughs) she does yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, I love just continuing to listen to that as it just probably explains my own experience. <laughs> it's very validating. Yeah. Brilliant. And what would
1: be your favorite family dinner to make or to enjoy?
0: Uh, favorite family dinner? I, um, yeah, I'm a total Mexican fan at heart. So I would say anything Mexican be it Ooh, have, some kind have of, you had lolitas yet? I, <laughs> Libby and I live close to each other. <laughs> I haven't. I've been like stalking them on Instagram, salivating over their um mm. their pictures. But yes, that is next on the list. Absolutely.
1: Be definitely to- <laughs> definitely give lolitas a try. They do take away yeah. um, margaritas at the moment as well. <laughs> oh just just to help out. <laughs> just to help out. Next yeah. is what would your favorite feel-good song B? is there a song that you put on to lighten the mood
0: oh favorite feel-good song there's probably not necessarily one in particular but I have been flashing back to the 90s um 90s pop really if I'm honest so anything that. from that, that genre um and I think it's because it just takes you back to that time when you were younger <laughs> Um, and there's different memories and feelings associated with that as well. So yeah, I'm a fan of of bringing back some '90s. Absolutely.
1: Yes. When you said that straight away, my mind went to All Saints. You know their yes. songs. Like I just went straight yeah.
0: to there. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. Anything like terrible girly pop. Yeah. Um, so good
1: to that. <laughs> um, and last but not least. What is next for you professionally?
0: Yes, what is next for me professionally? So it's it's been in the in the works for a little while, and we're still getting there because I'm completely imperfect human. Um, but my ebook is coming along. I am in the process of finally rebranding my website to um, upload some online courses, and as well as a podcast. So yes, um, oh, I'm so yeah. happy to hear that. Yes, yeah, so that, that's all in the works. And my aim is, you know, by the end of the year, that's all going to be there. So I'm steadily chipping away at it in the mix of, um, yeah, obviously seeing clients face-to-face, which takes up time, mm-hmm. and um, keeping my two tiny humans alive as well. Absolutely.
1: So, Well, if there's anything yeah. that I can do to help in the lead-up to that, let me know.
0: Oh, you are so incredibly generous and I will definitely – Share that because, yeah, we are so incredibly aligned with what we want for women.
1: Um, Absolutely,
0: which is awesome.
1: Libby, thank you so much again for your time. And just where can our community follow you? Where would be best to send everyone who has now fallen in love with you?
0: (laughs) The best place to go is to Instagram. So I'm on there as um, the women's psychologist and, Yeah, I try to show up pretty consistently with just sharing as much practical evidence-based support that I can, which is really around these flavours that I've spoken about today around um, self-compassion, you know, what are great strategies we can do to look after our mindset and our mood as we um, are navigating all of these processes that are just unique to being a woman.
1: So that's where you can find me on Instagram. And Libby is definitely someone that you want in your newsfeed. So we will pop her handle in the show notes as well, just in case you can't find it. Jump over, hit follow because her posts and her stories are really, really helpful to have when you are scrolling. So thank you so much again. And I can't wait to give Uh you a hug when this isolation is over.
0: There will be so many hugs, right? I'm just saving them up. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, it's brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Libby. Thank
0: you, Kylie. Absolute pleasure again. Thank you so much.
1: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.